This is the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast, episode 43. You're listening to the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast, the number one resource for running a profitable home recording studio. Now your hosts, Brian Hood and Chris Graham. Welcome back to another episode of the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast. I am your host, Brian Hood. I'm with my podcast co-host, Chris Graham. Chris Graham, what would it take to get you to this brand new car, buddy? Oh, man, I'll have to talk to my wife and my banker first. No, 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 man. I think you'd look great in this car. Let's, uh, should I get you the red or the blue car? Oh, give me the blue one. Okay, that's great. Let's just have you sign right here. Okay, that was a stupid skit, but today we're talking about sales. And when you hear sales, that's kind of what you think about is the weird, sleazy, like, fake talking like a businessman, corporate car salesman guy, whatever. And that, my friend, is not sales, at least not in our world of recording studios and audio professionals. And probably not at all in 2018. It might have been in like 1998, but... Yeah, honestly. Things have changed. If someone came to me and talked to me like that, uh uh-uh. It's not happening, man. It's over, yeah. People's bullshit, like BS meter, as they call it, is so sensitive these days. And they can easily spot even the smallest amount of bullshit when someone's talking that way, especially. So today we're going to give you a few things on what not to do in sales, kind of like last week's episode. And we're going to give you a lot of things on what to do when it comes to turning leads into customers. Last week's episode, if you missed that episode number 42, we talked about how to actually generate leads for your studio, but all the leads in the world are worthless if you can't actually turn them into customers. So that's what this episode is about today. This is what you call the good stuff. When you know, you're listening to a business podcast about how you can grow your business, the how to get leads is the first step, and then how to turn those leads into customers is the second step. There's obviously a whole lot more going on there, but this is actionable, and this is the fun stuff, because if you do this well, the results have a dollar sign in front of them, Yeah, <laughs> and that is pretty encouraging when you're trying to build your business. Yep. I like progress that can be measured in numbers just because it's so tangible. There's no room there for, you know, did I improve or not? Are my mixes a little bit better or not? Yeah. There's no gray area. It's black or white. You either improved or you didn't. So this episode's hopefully going to help you improve turning leads into customers. And the first thing we have on our list today to talk about is actually that intro we just did. (laughs) The faux professionalism is what I call it. Yeah. With the faux professionalism, I see this a lot from people who went to some college and they had some professor and they graduated with some idea of like what they thought professionalism was. And what's so ridiculous about that is what professionalism was 20 years ago is totally different than professionalism today. Professionalism today is much more about transparency. It's much more about relationship and much less about this professional distance. This idea that like, we're not going to have a relationship, but we will communicate about this thing. And then you will buy this thing from me, but you will know nothing about my personal life. And when I leave here today, I'll never think about you again. I think a lot of it comes down to when people learn from like their uncle, who's a car salesman, or they learn from, you know, Googling how to do sales or whatever. There's a lot of shitty information out there, honestly, and that might work in certain industries, but it's definitely not going to work when it comes to getting people to trust you enough to come into your studio, to give you money, to trust you with their prized possession of music that they've been working their butts off for the last year to write, they're not going to trust you with that using these sleazy little self tactics and and faux professionalism that you see from a lot of other people. Yeah. I think true professionalism is much more about being relatable, being somebody that they want to spend a lot of time with. 
So the next thing of what not to do when we start talking about converting leads to customers is using these lame ass sales tactics. Now we talked about really faux professionalism is kind of a tactic of its own, but there are other sales tactics. If you Google sales tactics that you're going to come across. And one of those is something called a hard sell. Chris, what is a hard sell? It's the stupidest thing ever. (laughs) A hard sell is when someone is just so aggressive, so right to the point and so off putting that they end up losing the sale. So if you walk into a Bose headphones store, they tend to have a little bit harder sales. They tend to immediately try to get you in and out of the store in the least amount of time possible with a product. If you go somewhere else, like, I don't know if you've been to a Tesla store, Tesla cars, they're so chill there. They're not on commission. So you walk in and they're just like, hey, what's up, man? How you doing? And like, you can walk in and walk out and you can avoid a conversation (laughs) entirely if you want to. Another example would be, I like a mall and the salesperson is just aggressively trying to sell you a suit. Can I help you? Can I help you? And they're just sort of like hovering over top of you. Yeah. That reminds me when I was in Thailand last year, every single street corner, there's a tailor, a quote unquote, a tailor, a suit tailor. And they're always trying to sell you custom tailored suits. And while I did get one out there, or I got a lot of actual custom tailored clothes out there, none of them were from the guys that were doing hard sales. And they're basically just saying, suit for you, suit for you. (laughs) (laughs) They want you to get your like Armani suit made from them, which is, I actually saw a sign that said genuine fake Armani suits. (laughs) I kid you not. I have a photo of it. It's incredible. (laughs) But to sum this up, hard selling is basically just going for the sale immediately before you know anything about the person, before you know anything about what they want or what they need. It's just going straight for the sale. And that's the hard sell. And it really is off-putting and it's dangerous and it's disgusting. And most people are going to have a bad taste in their mouth. So it's going to hurt you long-term. Yeah. Another lame sales tactic that we've seen is, I've read about this before and I've actually probably used this in my past. It's quote unquote option A or option B. I actually used it in the intro if some of you guys caught that. What is option A or option B, Chris? Option A or option B is this sales tactic that it's in sales books. I've read about it before. I've, I've had people try to use it on me. But it's the idea that if someone expresses an interest in your product or service, that you give them two options and you communicate in a way and you say, oh, you know, option A is this and option B is this. Which one will you be buying today? Yeah. Assuming you're going to buy one of the two. Yeah. Assuming that you're going to buy one of the two. And the assumption is that stupid people won't be able to deal with like the fact that there's a third option on the table, which is not buying anything and that they will then pick option A or option B. It does work. Honestly, there are people that for cheaper items, people just don't know how to say no to something. And when you ask either or a question, they don't have the capability of saying, well, I just don't want either of them. They just, they'll say, okay, I'll take a, and it's your $3 gone and you got the churro you didn't want. But you know, in a studio setting, it doesn't work. Yeah. You're immediately insulting their intelligence. Absolutely. When you use that tactic, I had a guy try to sell me uh, replacement windows. We got double pane windows in our house and that was his pitch. And like he grinned, you could tell someone taught him that tactic. Oh my God. He did it and grinned at me like, all right, I got you. And I was like, (laughs) I like laughed at him. I was like, what? Like, I haven't told you I'm going to buy from you yet. I have five other people coming out for quotes. I'll take option C, which is the option where you have five seconds to get your ass out of my house before I grab my shotgun. (laughs) And then you smile back. Yeah. So these sort of tactics that I would say these sleazy tactics 
Leave no room for the possibility of a friendship with the person you're selling to. That if there's no opportunity for the relationship to blossom into friendship, it's probably a sleazy sales tactic. Yeah. And I think really focusing on tactics too much is kind of the lesson here is just not worrying too much about these tactical things you read. There's so much better advice out there if you focus on big picture wins instead of these little tactical things. And I think most of our outline today, if not all of our outline today, is big picture. None of this is really small tactical things that we're going to be talking about today. Yeah. These sales tactics where there's no room for the relationship to grow into friendship, they're a holdover from a time that has long passed. They're a holdover from back in the day when you could get on a horse, ride into some town with a bottle of fake medicine, sell your butt off, and then leave before anyone figured out that what you sold them doesn't work. So this sort of con man thing does not work anymore by and large because if you are shady and you try to sell them Dr. Smith's Eaglefoot snake oil, like you're just going to Google Dr. Smith's Eaglefoot snake oil and see the plethora of one-star reviews and then you're not going to buy. You have to invest in a brand because your brand is searchable now on the internet. So these sort of like people that are still fixated on the hard sell, the sleazy techniques, they don't grasp that the world has changed a long time ago, 10, 12 years ago. They're not with the program. So don't let anyone teach you, like, you know, we try to do the advice smorgasbord here, you know, choose what you want. But I would say, generally speaking, don't let someone teach you crappy sales tactics and expect it to work. So I think that story of the snake oil salesman coming into town, selling the wrong things to the wrong people, it brings up this other good point of, yeah, you may be selling crap in that scenario. It's a con artist. He's selling snake oil, which is crap. And he's selling it to good people who think they need that one thing. They need their ailment solved. But there's another problem, which is you may have a really good service or you may be really great at what you do and have a great product you're trying to sell someone, but you may be trying to sell it to the wrong people, people that are unqualified for what you need. And that's a completely different problem in and of itself. I've seen people get clients that they had no business getting because that client was either, (laughs) I hate to say this, but way too good for the studio or not good enough for the studio or just the wrong genre for the studio. Yeah. I used to have this issue all the time. We still occasionally do, but not very often anymore because I run a mastering studio. And sometimes we would get people that would reach out to us who were definitely not ready for mastering. They really needed to focus on tracking and then mixing and then mastering. And I can remember one guy in particular. um, So we do like a money back guarantee. You'll love my work or I'll give you your money back. No questions asked. And there was one guy I can remember in particular who ended up asking for a refund and it was my fault. And man, we get basically no one, maybe one or two people a year out of a lot of people that'll ask for a refund. And this guy asked for a refund because I sold him mastering when I shouldn't have. I, you know, talked to him about how important it is and how I was, you know, I was good at it and I was going to take good care of him. And they did. But what he really needed was mixing. This is back before we offered mixing services and before we offered mixing advice with mastering for free. And so I oversold this guy. And it was no surprise when he came back and was like, I don't like how the master sounds. And it was rough. I had been too good at sales in that moment and I'd convinced him to make a purchase that he shouldn't have. He had no business talking to a mastering engineer at that point because he wasn't ready. I've seen this in my world too. And that's when I, you know, I quote someone on mixing and mastering, but the tracking and editing was awful. And there's nothing I can do to make it sound like 
you know, a Brian Hood mix. I can't make it sound great if it's not great at the source. I've done that in the past. I don't make that mistake anymore, but I've made that mistake of selling the right service to the wrong person. Yeah. So we would sum this up by saying what you should not do is over promise and then under deliver. There's a temptation in sales to promise the world because it gets them to whip out their credit card and then not deliver on it. So you really want to resist that urge to be completely full of crap and oversell. That is a terrible, terrible thing to do. And the important thing to keep in mind here is you could actually be the best salesman in the world and wreck your business because of it. Because what would happen is everybody would buy from you, but their service or your product doesn't live up to expectations. So then they write one-star reviews all over the internet about you and your brand's dead. Bad long-term strategy. Terrible. Yeah. You can't look at just the transaction that's in front of you. You have to think about your personal brand or business brand, however you want to look at it. Yeah. You have to look at it over the long term. If you want to be around for the rest of your, you know, your life, hopefully doing this, then you have to think long-term with everything that you do. So now let's transition into the right way to turn leads into customers. We just spent the last 15 minutes or so talking about the wrong way to sell your services, the wrong way to turn leads into customers. Now let's talk about the right way. But before I actually get into that, we have to go over some prerequisites here. And this is something I'm going to breeze over, but this is probably more important than this entire episode altogether for you to understand. And that is without these things that I'm about to talk about, nothing else we talk about matters, period. I hope you understand that. None of this that we're talking about today matters if you don't have these things figured out. The first is proper positioning. And what I mean by that, I'm going to breeze over this, is just do you appear to be a professional that can solve the problem that they have? Do you appear to be a good mastering engineer? Do you appear to be a good mixing engineer? Do you appear to have nice facilities uh, if someone's going to be coming into your studio? Do you appear to have at least a good vibe in your studio if you do it out of your home? There's a lot of different things that go into proper positioning, but it is basically this. Do you appear to be a Ford Pinto or do you appear to be a Maserati? You know, there's a big difference in perception in our minds when you think about those two different cars, you know, 1980, $2,000 Ford Pinto, which is just a really shitty car for those of you who never heard of that. And then like a, you know, a very expensive Maserati or Ferrari, for those of you who don't know what a Maserati is, in your mind, what you think of those two cars is positioning. It's what your potential customer thinks about in their head when they hear your name or they see your brand online. And that's usually shown through website or social media or your personal social media. There's a lot of things going to that. I can't talk about it all now. The second thing as far as prerequisite is differentiation. If you have not differentiated yourself from your competitors or from the next option down the street, you will not get the sale no matter what you do. You have to have differentiated your way in some way. Either your skills have to be way above the other people around you, or you have to have something unique about your sound, or you have to be faster or better. We talked about this in past episodes. Go back and listen to those. But you can't listen to you know, a 20-minute podcast on this and become an expert. There's so much that goes into this, even the episode we're talking about today when it comes to sales and all of the prerequisites that come before the sales conversation. Uh, you can have everything together at least in your head, and still be falling hard. So if you're continuously failing after listening to this podcast and listening to this episode, there is a lot that goes into this. And I would encourage you to go to theprofitableproducer.com, check out the Profitable Producer course, because this goes in way more detail than what we're going to be able to talk about in today on this podcast. And it really goes over in depth over these prerequisites I just talked about, because these are crucial before any of this other stuff matters. So go to theprofitableproducer.com and you can go check that out today. 
Yeah, let me add to this. So I have a couple friends that have taken your course and that have ranted and raved about it. Uh, one of my good friends, Glenn, just quit his job. Uh, he was full-time for a company and now he's going full-time in audio. And, you know, like we're friends. I love you. The course is awesome. Every single person I've talked to that's taken it is obsessed with it and absolutely blown away by the value that it provides. So I just want to echo what Brian was saying. You can't, re- even if you read the three best books on sales or you listen to this podcast or whatever, it's too complicated of a conversation to grasp quickly. You need to take a course from someone that knows what they're talking about and from someone that knows how to apply best practices to your industry. That's important. Yeah. And if you've been listening to this podcast since episode number one, you've binged through them all, which is a lot of people because we get a lot of emails from people that are like, I found you last month and I just binged all 40 episodes this month. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I love you. That's awesome. The podcast is incredible. Like it's great free content, but the issue with it is it's piecemeal. It's just kind of scattered all over the place. Whatever we have on our mind this week from what we've heard from people, the profitable producer course is one of those step-by-step from point A to point Z. What do you need to know? So it's more structured. So that's, that's the difference there, but let's move on to the right way to turn leads into customers. Let's just assume you have those prerequisites together. You are positioned well in your market. You have differentiated yourself in some way, shape or form. And now you're ready to learn how to turn leads into customers. What is the first thing people should know when it comes to this, Chris? Well, the biggest thing, and I think the thing that's most often forgot, is you need to discover what the customer, the potential customer's actual needs are. What's a win for them? What is the best possible outcome? Because we talked about this on the negotiation episode, which was episode number... Episode number 30. 11 highly effective negotiation tactics any audio professional can use. Yeah, so on our negotiation episode, we talked about to do well in a negotiation, it's not about you winning and them losing. It's about them winning and then you finding a way to also win. You have to create win-win situations or it's impossible to get a win consistently. So the most important thing there, and you know, we talked about The Secrets of a Power Negotiator, that book, the most important thing that he talks about is that first and foremost, you need to figure out what's a good outcome for them. Are they looking for a fast turnaround time? Are they looking for something that's really, really loud? Are they looking for a specific tone? Are they looking for a specific drum tone, specific guitar tone, whatever? You need to figure out what is their hopes and dreams and see if you can find a way to help them get what they want. If you can help them get what they want, you'll be able to probably make a sale. Yeah, just to add what Chris said there, if you don't do this part, if you don't properly sit down and have a conversation, whether it's through email or Facebook Messenger or on the phone or whatever medium you choose, in person, face-to-face, over lunch, if you don't have this conversation and figure out what they actually need, then you're going to make a lot of the mistakes we talked about at the beginning. You're going to sell them something they don't need. You're going to go straight for the sale without building any sort of relationship. And really, you have no idea what they want. And we don't have in our outline here, but this is really one of the important parts of turning people into customers is adding value along the way, whether or not you get anything out of it, but you can never add value if you don't know what they need. So this is really step one in any conversation related to sales is figuring out exactly what they need. Yeah. The best way to do that is not through faux professionalism. It's grabbing a beer and having a conversation and getting to know what they love and what they don't. I cannot overstate its importance. Here's the thing, in my opinion, it's the most fun part to meet somebody who probably has similar interests to you because they're possibly interested in working with you. It's so fun to have a conversation and to learn, oh yeah, we're both really into this band from such and such time back in the day, or we're both really into 
XYZ types of guitars or, or what have you, that's where doing audio and helping people make great art is really, really fun. And that's my favorite part, without a doubt. Don't skip that. And I understand it's not everybody's cup of tea. I can tell you, I know a lot of people that are intimidated to talk to other people, maybe lack social skills, or it's just not their favorite part of the process. But you have to find a way that works for you despite your hesitations with this. Yeah. Because this is not a negotiable here. This is something you have to learn to do if you want to turn these leads that you learned how to get this last episode on episode 42 and turn those into customers. You have to learn this skill. And there are workarounds to all this. If you're doing it the Facebook Messenger or text message, there are workarounds where you don't have to have you know, the face-to-face or ear-to-ear conversations if you're on the phone (laughs) that Chris likes to do. But go back to one of our episodes, actually, episode number 21, the number one thing that'll guarantee your studio's failure. That episode is all about figuring it the fuck out. Fitfo, as I call it. I probably want to get a tattoo just says Fitfo on my body somewhere. F-I-T-F-O, figure it the fuck out. This is one of those things that if you lack the, the social skills or you have social anxiety or something, you have to figure out a way to get around that. And I'm not going to try to downplay the severity of some people's social anxiety or lack of social skills or whatever it is, but there are ways around it all. And as an entrepreneur, it is your duty, it's your obligation, if you're good at what you do, to figure out a way around that so that you're turning these leads into customers. Yeah. So the next thing on our list when we start talking about the right way to turn leads into customers is understanding the difference between selling to friends versus selling to strangers. You have to be able to do both, but you also have to understand the differences between those two things. Yeah. So we've talked about this on the podcast in the past, but I'm going to tell this story one more time. Not to make anyone that's, you know, anti-Christian feel weird here. I'm going to share a story from the Bible. There's a story where Jesus and his disciples go back to his hometown and Jesus had been going around doing all these miracles and he gets back to his hometown and people are like, this guy, (laughs) they're like, what? I grew up with him. He's not the son of God. And it says that he was unable to do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. And so the disciples and Jesus are walking away from Nazareth and the disciples are like chatting about, whoa, dude, that was weird. He couldn't do that much cool stuff. And Jesus tells them, he says, a prophet has no honor in his hometown. And man, I share this all the time with people when I'm talking about their businesses, that there is a really intense reality to this, that people have a hard time believing that someone local could also be amazing at what they do. There's something about someone from another city or another state or the other side of the world where people just inherently believe they must be better because they don't live near me. And that's a real thing you need to figure in here. If you've only had experience selling to friends, you might not have any real sales experience. You might be amazing at sales, but you haven't been able to overcome the fact that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So that's something to think about that's really important. For me, the first stranger I ever sold to, as far as mastering goes, I'll never forget it. It was the strangest experience to have someone who didn't know anybody that I knew decide that they trusted me enough and thought I was competent enough to hire me to master their record. So there's this really big difference between selling to friends who you, in some ways, have to convince that you're competent more than you do to strangers because your friends and their friends assume that you must suck because you live down the street. So the big thing is when you're selling to friends, you have to overcome the fact that they probably think you're not that great. You're their buddy. You live down the street. You can't possibly be amazing. When you sell to strangers, first and foremost, you have to find a way to get strangers to find out about you. You have to figure out lead generation. Which is the last episode, episode 42. 
Yeah. And you also have to think about why would a stranger trust you? If a stranger found your website for your recording studio, or your mixing service or what have you, why on earth would they decide to hire you more than another stranger? Well, this goes back to the conversation that I said, you know, the prerequisites, that's positioning and differentiation. Like, do you have any way that you are different from the other person? That's step one. And then step two, the things that you differentiate yourself, what sets you apart from your competitors. Can someone look at you on the internet, a stranger look at your online presence in some way, shape or form and deduce that you do indeed have differentiating factors. That's positioning right there. So first, you got to be able to be better or different in some way. And then step two is you have to show them that you are different. That's why it's so important when it comes to selling to strangers versus selling to friends. I'll kind of disagree with you saying that if you're local, that your friends automatically assume that you're not as good as someone that's international. I have worked with many local people. To me, I think it's way easier to sell to someone local because you already have that trust. You already have that relationship. And so they don't have that prerequisite feeling that you're not as good as someone else. But you live in Nashville. No, I lived in Alabama for the first three plus years of my career. So I've been in small towns and I've been in big towns. And I'll say that I actually, moving to Nashville, I don't work with anyone from Nashville. So (laughs) I don't really know what it's like to sell to someone in the city. That's funny. Yeah. You know, I think that there are situations where this profit has no honor might be less true for some people and more true for others. You know, definitely you got me convinced there, but I think My big point here is that I don't want someone who's only sold to friends to think this is what it's like to run a recording studio. Absolutely. See, to me, there's not a big difference. And me and Chris were kind of arguing about this pre-show a little bit. I don't see a big difference between selling to a friend and selling to a stranger. It's the exact same process. It's just a lot harder to sell to a stranger. That's it. And so it's even more important that you have those prerequisites down, that you have a good website, that you have good photos, that you have a good portfolio, that you've done all of your pre-flight checklist, if you will, that you've gotten all of those prerequisites down before you even have the conversation with the stranger, because your friend will look past that. Your friend already knows you. Your friend already trusts you. Your friend's already heard the people you've recorded because they're friends with those people already. And they've already been word of mouth advertised to, and there's a lot more social proof there. With the stranger, it's now up to you to give them all of that through your website. And this is why a website is so important that you set one up well, but you have to have all of this on a silver platter for the stranger to consume. So there is a a thing here, at least that I've noticed in my own business. It might not apply to everyone's. I think it probably does though. But I find that friends are a little less tolerant of systems than strangers are. So, you know, I work with friends all the time, but I work with way, way more strangers than I work with friends. I'd say friends are one to 2% of my business, but I'll find all the time where a friend will book a project with me and they'll fill out the form. After they book the project, they'll upload the file. And then as soon as the file is finished uploading, they'll email me, just finished uploading the file. And then they'll text me, just finished uploading the file. And it'll be like, yeah, I know it's a business. I got an alert. Well, this is why I like having you as a co-host because our businesses are so much different from each other. There's differences in your business than mine that you probably wouldn't know a lot of my perspective. And I definitely don't know a lot of your perspective. So it's good that we have two wildly different perspectives here between a mixing engineer and a mastering engineer. But that just sounds like a boundary issue to me, which if you go back to episode number 10, we have an episode called keep clients from ruining your life using these seven boundaries. So that's a boundaries issue. But I will say that people will do that 100% if it's your friends. Yeah. But that is definitely a boundary issue that is one of those things that if you set up proper boundaries, then it may not be a, as much of a problem. 
That's the problem though. And this is a really good conversation, I think, for the podcast. Because if someone has your cell phone number and if someone is friends with you on Facebook as opposed to, you know, a stranger off the street, they have an opportunity to reach out. And it gets a little weird to be like, hey, Joe, I know I've known you since way back when. Don't text me about your project. I've actually sent that text before. And this is, it's not weird though. I think you can do it in a not weird way. And and this is the way I do it is, and we didn't mean to get into this rabbit hole today, but if you want to set proper boundaries with friends, you have to educate them as to why. You can't just say, don't contact me this way. If you give them a very good, very reasonable excuse as to why you don't do it this way, they are more than understanding, especially because they're your friends. So if you could just say, hey, Steve, if you could just keep all of this in email or whatever your form of communication is, it helps me keep my business stuff organized because I don't handle any business stuff through text. Ooh, that's good. Yep. So it's just one of those things like it's a systems conversation or it's a boundaries conversation, but you know, it's not a major issue in my life at least. But, but also I want to also say that your perspective is different from mine because I'm not working with many projects as you. You just have a lot more opportunities for things to potentially, I don't want to use the word annoy you, but potentially annoy you. Well, I think it's worth me confessing that it scares the crap out of me when a friend is being a weird client and is like over texting and... Yeah, because you can ruin your personal friendship through f- no fault of your own. And that's where... We didn't mean to go down this rabbit hole today, but that's why boundaries with your friends are so much more important than with strangers because there's no personal relationship at stake with the strangers or there, there isn't at first. I mean, there, you should always be working towards having some sort of personal relationship with your customers, but... Yeah, well, this is scary and hard for me But it's a great conversation to have because back to what I said before, if you've only ever sold to people you know, that's a a lot different experience, or at least it can be, I think it often is, than selling to complete strangers. And here's the rub, and here's why we've gone down this rabbit hole. If you want a six-figure home studio, you only have so many friends. You can't only sell to your friends and make six figures two, three, four, five, ten years in a row. You have to make the jump to finding a way to get total strangers to reach out to you and want to work with you. This is the same as every single freelancing business that exists as a photographer, as a videographer, as a personal trainer, as a insert freelance career thing here, designer. Once you get past your initial circle of friends, that's where most people stall and fail. So you have to be able to pick up past that point of running out of friends and finding strangers. And really, honestly, that's a lead generation conversation. That's going back to the last episode. So I don't think we should talk about it anymore here. But when it comes to strangers versus friends, this is a huge part of getting out of the part-time struggle and into the full-time life. Yeah. So let me just tell a really quick story about this. So for me, one of the most important moments in my business life was I had my website launched was looking great. It had that before and after player that we've talked about before that nobody in the world had at the time. And I started running Google ads. There were very few people running Google ads back then. This is 10 years ago, at least maybe more. And within a week of me running Google ads, and again, this is 10 years ago, might not probably won't be your experience now, but I got an email from a guy named Greg from Pennsylvania who was interested in having me master his record. It was the first lead I had ever gotten from a complete stranger that he saw an ad, went to my website and said, this kid looks cool. I might want to have him master my record. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so weird. So I asked him, hey, you know, what's your number? Can I give you a call? And I stood on my back patio 
and paced back and forth on the phone with this guy talking to him about mastering his record about how I promised to take care of him. And he, at the time, like this is a while ago, he didn't even have a PayPal account and he wanted to mail me a check. (laughs) And I was like, okay, (laughs) sounds great. (laughs) So he mailed me the check and I'll never forget that the phone conversation or getting the check in the mail and knowing that my business had gone through a metamorphosis where suddenly I got a stranger to hire me. And you know what? That was so cool because I grasped in that moment, there are more strangers on earth. Therefore, I might be able to grow this business. It was absolutely mind blowing. So that moment when you switch to having your first stranger hire you, this is a big deal and you should celebrate it. Yes, absolutely. I think if you manage to land after the last two episodes, this one and the last one, a, your first stranger as a client post it in the Facebook community. We'll have an actual conversation about this episode going in our Facebook community. You'll find a link in our show notes. Let us know in there if you end up doing that. But let's just say you got this down. You've got all the prerequisites. You're not doing any of the things we said not to do. You've got a lead that you found. You start in the conversation about what do they need? What is the best possible outcome for them? You're having a good conversation. You're having a good time. When we start getting to the sales portion of this, when the conversation moves to the project, this is where it's extraordinarily important that you always under promise and over deliver. Always make sure that when you start telling people that you can do that or you can do this and they can do that and they can do this and yes, that's included and know that's making sure that the timeline, the price, the budget, all these things are not going to be blown out of proportion and you're just saying things in order to get them as a customer. Extremely important. Yeah, huge, man. So if you haven't taken anything home from this, that saying under promise over deliver definitely worth putting in your back pocket. And definitely why many musicians are suspicious about hiring a new audio engineer because, you know, tough love here, guys. Our industry is notorious yes. for us being the type of guys who overpromise and underdeliver. We're constantly turning in late projects. Yep. We're constantly not doing as good a job as people hoped we would. And generally that's the reputation. And it's not just us, it's also a lot of people, photographers, graphic designers. Any freelancing career. It's because it's a creative field. It's people that are creative are generally not great at business. That's the issue we're trying to solve with this podcast. So what's next on the list, Chris? Well, one of the things that we've noticed about the podcast is I would say probably 80%, correct me if I'm wrong, Brian, 80% of our listeners are probably younger than we are. Uh, yes. Our average age is 23, I think, to 29 is like where the bell curve peaks. Yeah. So the big thing that's interesting is I'm 36 years old. Old man. I know I'm old. And according to what I've read, millennials are 18 to 36. So I am the oldest millennial you can possibly be. I'm almost not a millennial. And one of the things that our generation struggles with is that we'd much rather text. We'd much rather use Facebook Messenger. We don't totally love email, but we want that instantaneous overwriting because we don't have to deal with tough stuff. We don't have to look someone in the eye. We don't have to experience an awkward silence. See what I did there? That was an awkward silence. (laughs) So the big thing here that I have found, and this I think is a golden nugget here, at least it has been for me, is that you cannot underestimate how important a phone call can be. When you're talking with somebody that you might end up working with, taking it from email to phone, escalating and saying, you know what, this is a great potential customer. I want to have a conversation with them can really make a big difference. 
And what I found is that when I have a phone conversation, a couple things happen. One, I get to know the person for real. We talk about where they're from and what they're into. And, you know, it's, it's really fun to hear their story. Why do you make this record? What do you hope happens with this record? Tell me about your studio. These type of things are really, really, really fun to talk about. And it helps me to get a better idea of who the potential client is. And it helps them to get a better idea of who I am and to hear in the tone of my voice that I'm not trying to rip them off or take advantage of them. If I picked up the phone when someone called and was like, hello, this is Chris Graham with Chris Graham Mastering. (sighs) What do you want? (laughs) That's very different. But what I typically do, I'm typically a pretty bubbly guy. I love talking on the phone and meeting new people. And honestly, man, that's a huge part, I think, of my sales process. And it's the part I enjoy the most. So I made a transition recently, and this is super interesting. What I found was so many people wanted to have phone conversations with me. I had a hard time getting all these emails that, you know, trying to set up a phone call. And I'm trying to find a time when I'm available and they're available. Calendar tag is awful. Yeah. So we're going back and forth. Could you do Wednesday? No. Could you do Thursday morning at 9 a.m.? Could you do 9.30? Oh, I can't. I've got a meeting at 9.30. So what I did is instead of just putting my phone number in the signature of my email and on my website, I switched over to Calendly. They're not sponsoring the show. It's spelled C-A-L-E-N-D-L-Y. Calendly. And by the way, we would accept a sponsorship if they wanted to pay us. Yeah, Calendly. So Calendly is amazing. So what you do is you sync it up with your calendar. I use Google Calendar. And it blocks out. You say, here are the times I'm available. And if you add something into your calendar that's marked as busy, it blocks those times out. So basically what I say is, hey, I'd love to talk to you on the phone. And this is over email. Click here to book a call with me. And they click a link. It takes them to my website. And the Calendly little app is embedded in my website. And they can choose a time that works for them. When they do that, it adds it to my calendar. And I wear an Apple Watch every single day, all day long. And the Apple Watch has my calendar in it. And one minute before my phone call is supposed to start, my Apple Watch vibrates and I look down and I say, oh, I have a call with uh, Steve in one minute. And then I call Steve at exactly the time that he's scheduled for. And I'm dead serious about this. All the time, I will have closed the sale once they pick up the phone because they'll say, and they say this to me all the time, oh my gosh, thank you for calling me so promptly. Immediately, I've demonstrated, hey, I'm a grown-up, man. And they want to work with me at that point. Well, we talk about differentiating yourself from your competitors. That right there is one of your forms of differentiation. Yeah. You do what you say you're going to do when you say you're going to do it. And that immediately beats a lot of your competition just because they don't have the systems in place and calendar system in place, which is an important thing to have in place, to do things on time when you say you're going to do it. Now, I do have a follow-up question, Chris. Yes. You only have a one-minute alert to let you know a minute ahead of time? I have several. I have a 30-minute alert and I have a one-minute alert. Okay. I was going to ask because I was like, what happens if you're pooping whenever you get that one-minute alert? <laughs> yeah. So what you can do in Google Calendar is you can set up default alerts. So my wrist will vibrate at specific intervals before my meetings and stuff. So if any of you guys want to see exactly what we're talking about here, you can actually go to Chris's site, chrisgrammastering.com slash call, C-A-L-L. And you can actually see how this entire system is set up. And I would highly encourage you guys, if you want to actually book a call with Chris, book a call with Chris, talk about your mastering project, or just say hi to him. Yeah, man. I love it. Meeting new friends is uh, one of my favorite things in the world. And it drives my wife nuts because we'll go out to a restaurant and I'll inevitably meet a stranger, befriend them, and (laughs) the family has to wait for me (laughs) while they're walking out of the car. 
And I'm like swapping numbers with a new friend I just made. So That's hilarious. Yeah, but I want to be serious about this with you guys here. There's a temptation to want to do everything over text. There's a temptation to want to avoid any potentially awkward situations. And that works against you when you're trying to run a business. So to pick up the phone, to use something like Calendly to schedule phone calls can really make a big difference because you can actually, it helps you build relationships. And that's the point of a system. Now, I want to ask you a quick question, Chris. What is the average age of your customer? Well, the average would be deceptive. Where's the peak of the bell curve for you? I've got guys that are 65. I've got kids that are 18. So you would say it's probably a little older than this podcast, right? Like the podcast listener, right? The average podcast listener? Mm, possibly. I mean, it, it is extremely evenly spread out amongst all age groups. Here's where I'm getting at is I agree with the getting on the phone thing, but I also disagree to an extent. And I'm just going to play devil's advocate for a second. I think if you only do phone calls, if the only way you close a sale, the only way you, you're always pushing to a phone conversation you're alienating a large portion of your potential audience when you do that because so many people don't want to talk on the phone, especially millennials and younger. That's just not the way they grew up. And I'm kind of mixed. I'm like an older millennial myself, so I will get on the phone if I have to. But I actually prefer a lot of times to be through messenger or email or text. And so when you look at your audience, if you're trying to target a younger demographic that doesn't necessarily want to speak on the phone, it may make more sense for you for your call to action to be messages on Facebook or send me a text. All I'm trying to say is meet your customer where they want to be met instead of forcing them to adapt to where you want to be met. I love playing devil's advocate. It's my favorite game, <laughs> but I think there's another component here and it's personal strength. That's true. You have a great personality. You're easy to talk to. Oh, you have shucks. good tonality in your voice, which is very important when you're going to talk on the phone. I have friends that do have pretty good personalities, but they're monotone and they don't sound very excited. And if you talk to someone like this, then they don't think that you're really interested in them. And so if this is the way you talk, maybe phone's not the way you really ought to go. Yes. I think some of this is figuring out what your customers want, but a lot of it's figuring out what your personal strength is. Yes. I'm very comfortable on the phone. I love it. It's so fun. I don't love having like a Facebook messenger conversation. I'll go back and forth a few times. I have people Facebook message me from the podcast all the time, but I'm not probably going to have like an in-depth, super substantial conversation. You know, tell me about your hopes and dreams type of thing. Right, right, right. Yeah. So I think it really depends. If you're prettier than I am, maybe Skype video might be. I prefer Skype because I am prettier than you. <laughs> yeah, that's up for debate. <laughs> that is up for debate. <laughs> <laughs> so you got to go where you're comfortable, but you also got to go where your customers are and hopefully you can find a good balance place where they meet. Okay. So just to kind of wrap all this up, let's just say you do all of these things, Chris, you're not doing the faux professionalism. You're not doing lay mass sales tactics. You're not trying to sell to the wrong people. You're not over promising and under delivering, but you do have your proper positioning figured out. You're differentiated yourself in some way, shape or form from your competitors You've worked on discovering the needs of the person you're talking to and you're under-promising, over-delivering. Hell, you even get on the phone with them, have a great conversation. This is, to me, only the beginning of sales. This, to me, is the very first part of sales. And this is not, you're, you're going to convert, to me, a tiny portion of what you could convert if you do this next and final thing we're going to talk about here. And that is follow-up. This is one of the most important parts of this, because you can have all of these things in place. You can have that wonderful conversation, but if they just drift away, you never follow up, you never get top of mind with that person again, they may forget about you or they may move on or things got in the way or life happened and it just, the project never went to fruition. 
And so follow-up is one of the most important things. I got to drive that into your heads. Follow-up, follow-up, follow-up. I've seen some stats. I don't know if these are true. They say 50% or more of sales come from the follow-up. And they, I've even seen stats that say the majority of those amount of sales come from follow-up five or greater. So that being said, if you give up before follow-up number five, you're missing out on a large portion of sales. If you make 50 grand a year, you could be losing out on $25,000, $30,000 a year in potential projects by not following up. So there are two main ways to follow up here. Chris and I were talking about this beforehand. I follow up manually by email via reminders because I'm not working with a lot of projects. And this is the cool part. I just do you know, little touch points after one week, after two weeks, after a month, and then every three to six months after that, it's pretty unaggressive. It's a very like lackadaisical follow-up pace. It's not very aggressive. Chris has a different method because he has a different business model. And this is the cool thing about having Chris on the podcast as a co-host is he gets a different perspective. He doesn't necessarily follow up via email. He uses a different method, which I think is something that I should even start using more of. And that is what, Chris? This is funny. I have no idea what you're talking about right now. Oh, I love this. <laughs> you follow up with your clients via remarketing. Ah, yes. Yeah. I do. I wish I did it more. This is funny. So a friend of mine who told me about you, his name's Micah. Love this guy. He told me something that Billy Decker said. This is the first I ever heard of Billy Decker. And Billy Decker allegedly said, we t- we, I asked him about this in the podcast. For those of you who don't know who that is, we interviewed Billy Decker on episode 13 of the Six Figure Home Studio podcast. Link to that would be in the show notes. Yeah. So Billy Decker said, and the saying went something like this, when someone hires you, they do it for two reasons. One, they think you're good at what you do. And two, you're top of mind. You're not like, oh, I remember I was on that guy's website six months ago. It's no, that guy posted a quote on Facebook and I read it and it was funny or I saw a meme that he posted or whatever. I thought of him relatively recently. So the follow-up that I do, man, I really wish I was more aggressive about it. I need to invest more time in this is remarketing, is making sure, hey, if you've been on my website or we've had a conversation, you're probably going to see an ad for Chris Graham Mastering every once in a while for 90 days. Yep. And that's important just to remind people I'm there. We've talked about this on the podcast before. That's the most inexpensive marketing you can do and probably the most effective. So that can be really helpful. You know, for me, it's, it's something where I wish I had the time and the discipline to do follow-up phone calls and to just call people and to just sit down one day and just, I'm going to call everyone that I've talked to about a potential record who hasn't booked me yet. That's difficult for me because as a mastering engineer, I'm working with at least one client per day, every day. So that's a lot of people to follow up with. That's a lot of people to follow up with. Yeah. Remarketing is a great way to do one, one to many follow-ups. And I take it back. I don't do this with the studio, but I definitely do it with the six figure home studio. If you hit my site or hit certain pages of my site, you'll get retargeted for a certain amount of time for ads, which a lot of you have probably seen. And I've probably gone overboard with it because I'm still learning how to do this properly and with taste. I've got semesters of people that like, Brian, I see this ad every day. Stop. So I'm still learning. But honestly, the important part of this is when it comes to your studio, if you do not come to mind when they're ready to book, you will never get the gig. And whether you follow up with email or you follow up with ads, either way, you're hoping that the advertisement that they see from you is going to say, oh gosh, yeah, me and me and Chris had a great conversation 
six months ago, I should probably, we just finished the record. I should probably follow up with him now, or I should follow, you know, I should probably call him about booking that because in our business, there are a lot of dominoes that have to fall before we can ever get the project. If you're a mastering engineer, the artist has to have written the songs. The artist has to have recorded the songs. The artist has to have had the songs edited and mixed before they can be booked for a master. And then they also have to get the files ready and prep for the mastering engineer. So there's a lot of things in place. And so all that to say, there is a lot that can go wrong. There's a lot that can delay a project. And there's a lot that could come between Chris getting the project or not getting the project. And follow-up really does help with that. And so that's just some stuff that you have to keep in mind. You have to have some way you're following up with every single lead or else you are leaving money on the table that you shouldn't be leaving on the table as a business. Yeah. So I love your openness about how you're still learning about remarketing. I myself am still learning about remarketing. It's incredibly powerful and incredibly complicated. But that's one of the things I enjoy about our podcast, that what we're trying to tell you guys is that we're not experts. No. We're lifelong learners. And we hope that you join us and become the same. That is, I think, the most fun thing in the world. And you know, there are times in our history as humans, times of what you would call enlightenment. Uh, these are periods of enlightenment where learning and self-education became the coolest thing and the most in vogue thing. It's probably not right now, but it's getting there. And join us as we self-educate and, you know, we teach you a little bit about what we have learned about running a home studio. So that is it for this episode of the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast. Hopefully you have some good takeaways from that episode. There's a lot to take in there. And just like I mentioned, kind of in the middle of the episode, you're not going to learn this all in a 45-minute podcast. It's impossible. But what we're hoping is that it kind of opens your eyes to all of the pieces you're missing in your business so that you can then go out and start working on all of those weak links. Kind of like how we talked about on episode 38 of the podcast, where if you can just find and eliminate your single point of failure in your business, you can 10x your income. And so if your single point of failure is turning leads into customers, this is one you have to work on. And we give you a lot to go off of from here. If you have anything you want to add to the conversation, uh, we have a thread going inside of Facebook right now. There's a link in the show notes and you can ask Chris and I any questions you have about this episode. If you have any follow-up questions you want to ask, if you have any feedback you want to give on this episode, just go to our show notes and there'll be a link inside our Facebook community. If you're already a Facebook community member, you can just kind of scroll through the posts and you'll probably see it there as well. But for those of you who are listening to this episode way, way later, let's just say weeks or months later, that link will still work. You can still comment in there and we will still see it. But next week, we're going to be talking about something that is kind of a continuation of this lead generation series, although it's not really officially part of the series. It was just a two-parter series. Next week is all about hard conversations, specifically three extremely difficult conversations that you have to have with your clients, that if you skip these conversations, if you just let these things breeze by without having these hard conversations, you will burn bridges. You will piss people off. You will lose clients and you will have a lot of heartache, a lot of stress added to your life just by avoiding these specific three conversations. So this is kind of a communications episode. And whether or not that sounds interesting to you, this is a must listen episode because this will absolutely impact just about every single project that you have. So that'll be next week, Tuesday, 6 a.m. sharp. You need to be listening to that episode. So until then, have an awesome week and happy hustling. Whoa.